everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hi everyone, this is Deb. And I'm Beth. And we want to welcome you to episode number 34 of Dying to be Found. As always, we appreciate you joining us. So thanks so much for being here. In the meantime, Beth. What? I have a question for you. You like to travel, right? For sure, for sure. If you were to choose a plane, train, or automobile, which is your preference to travel across Canada? Train. Train. How come? Well, I just made a 12-hour trip up to see my daughter by train. It surprised me how fast that time went. It was just so nice, even in the um, place that you transfer. A train depot, you mean? Yes. Okay. I have not been on a train since going up to Moosonee with Dad as a teenager. Really? Yeah. But guess what? I am going to take a trip in just a couple months. I'm going by train. Well, do tell. I'm excited because I'm going to go up to Washington, D.C. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's so historical. I'm going up there in a couple months and it inspired me to talk about what we're going to talk about today. It's the 1995 Amtrak train derailment. Wow, that sounds exciting. Let's jump right in. Well, okay. Did you know that there are a lot of passenger train derailments every year? No, that's a surprise to me. You don't want to go look that up. I will, though. Well, many occur through human error, vehicles on the tracks, and you get the picture with that. Right. The top four states in the United States that have derailments are Texas, California, Georgia, and Illinois. Do you think I should still take this train trip up to D.C.? I sure do, because it's, I'm not, it's never going to happen to me, thought. Oh, yeah. It's not going to stop me, Beth, because I love just doing different things. And it's been a long time since I've been on a train, so I'm ready for that trip. Fantastic. Let's talk about the 1995 Amtrak. We're going to call it a sabotage. Okay. On October 9th, 1995, and I'm going to say between the hours of 1.30 a.m. and 2.30 a.m., there were a lot of conflicting articles that I read, so I'm going to just give that hour time frame. I had no idea they named their trains, Beth. They do. Yeah, so Amtrak had a train that they called Sunset Limited, which is a cool name, I think. It was a two-locomotive and 12-car Amtrak train carrying 248 passengers and 20 crew members, which was making its way from Miami, Florida to Los Angeles, California. Its last stop was in New Orleans, Louisiana, and as the train made its way through the remote Arizona desert at only 50 miles per hour, or 80.46 kilometers per hour, it reached a bridge just after a curve in the track and derailed near a very small rural town called Hyder, Arizona, which is located about 50 miles or 80 and a half kilometers west of Phoenix. I don't know if you know the U.S. map very well, Beth. 
I was trying to picture it. I know it's on the west somewhere. If you look to, towards the west, it's very, very close to California. Oh, okay. That's kind of what I gathered. Okay. Well, eight of the 12 cars, including two locomotives, derailed. And just for our listeners, a locomotive is basically the machine that pulls the train. So Beth, you may want to think of the very first vehicle that you see at the front of the train. It's the one that's got the big light on it kind of like the engine, they had two locomotives pulling that train. The passenger train jumped the tracks and most of the middle cars jackknifed, which catapulted many of the victims from their seats. Four of the 12 passenger cars plunged 30 feet or 9.14 meters into a ravine. Oh no. So basically it went off the track. Imagine it going airborne and then going down 30 feet. Jeez. Yep. I do want you to remember this was after midnight. So you know how dark that was. Yes. More than 70 people were injured and one person, unfortunately, an Amtrak employee by the name of Mitchell Bates died and Mitchell was only 41 years old. Bates was one of the sleeping car attendants and had worked for Amtrak for 20 years. I just wanted to mention one of the passengers later described Mitchell as very kind and attentive. So just an all around nice guy. Sounds like it. Let's talk about the investigation. According to Amtrak officials, the last train to pass through this area before the Sunset Limited was at 6.30 a.m. the morning before, about 18 hours prior to the derailment. Investigators believe that whoever was responsible was likely targeting a passenger train over a freight train. Of course, that makes sense. Oh, no. According to the FBI, the railroad tracks just outside of Phoenix, Arizona had been tampered with. And this would have been easy to do because of its location for a couple of reasons. Authorities believe that this section of the tracks was chosen because it was a very remote area. Anyone out there at the tracks would be very unlikely to be spotted. Beth, I want you to think about Little House on the Prairie. That's about how rural this area was. Basically out in the wilderness, out in the desert, not a ton of anything around it. Oh, Oh, it seems like a funny place to want to go into making trouble for the train. How so? Because it's an open area. I don't think that derailing a train would have as big an impact in a rural versus where it would be more urban. You are so right. Oh my gosh, I love working with you because we have so many different thought processes. We do. Yeah, for sure. Because if they really wanted to do more damage as far as making sure they were in a highly populated area, well... Further investigation showed that whoever was responsible really knew what they were doing because six bolts were removed from the connecting rail joints and, again, conflicting numbers, but somewhere between 29 and 39 spikes were removed at the bridge site. Good golly. I know, right? They also shifted the rail about four inches inward just after the curve in the track. If you're looking up ahead at the track 
and you see the curve coming up right past that curve is where they shifted the tracks okay whoever was responsible for this breach bypassed the rail warning system so that this sabotage would go undetected by amtrak's communication system so i have a question for you beth what have you ever come across a rail yard or any area of the tracks where you see something that looks like a traffic light and the light is either red or green yes that's the communication system oh how so if the conductor on a train is approaching an area that's got one of those communication systems it's almost like red light green light Mm -hmm. it tells them that they need to slow down if it's red or they are perfectly fine to keep going if it's green okay yeah so they'll just be on their way nothing to worry about no hazards in the way And so they can just move along their way. But whoever ran these wires was able to bypass that communication system and kept the light on green. So as the conductor in the front of the locomotive approached, they thought everything was fine. Everything was clear. They could just keep on going. That's not good. Nope. Because... Experts say the rewiring only takes about 10 minutes. Clearly, this person that was tampering with the railway, they knew what they were doing. For sure. When the train derailed, two rail cars remained on the tracks. Several others derailed and three plunged down into that 30-foot ravine below. Wow. Because of its isolated location, authorities had a hard time reaching the Sunset Limited at the site of the accident. Because I had mentioned, I want you to think about the rural location and Little House on the Prairie, right? Right. Authorities couldn't get to them very well. Local farmers were the first to arrive to assist the injured. Because of the location, most of the emergency personnel were volunteers. I don't know if you know of any towns, Beth, where maybe the fire department strictly runs on volunteers because the town is so small. Yes. This is pretty much the area that it happened. The emergency personnel was required to make a temporary road just to get to the scene of the accident. As investigations continued, federal agents found something called a derailleur on some of the tracks. Think about metal on metal, Beth. I don't know if you can imagine that sound. Yes. Somebody had enough insight to call the police, but I'm going to assume that this took place at an odd hour. I've never seen anybody working on the tracks. Have you? No. Yeah. So I'm thinking this had to have taken place at a very odd hour for that person to say something was suspicious and to call it in. Maybe it was just out of place just a bit. Right. I'm going to explain to you what a derailleur is because, of course, I had to go look this up. Great. I didn't know what it was. (laughs) Inquiring minds want to know. Well, guess what? Today's your lucky day. Deb's here to tell you what a derailleur is. All right. It's used to either put trains back on the track or to stop runaway trains, which I thought was interesting. Very. The best way I can describe this, Beth, it reminds me of a carjack. Only in this case, it's a metal contraption that clamps to the railroad track itself. Oh. I thought, what? This thing's able to lift a train back onto the tracks? I can see it derailing something. Anything left on the tracks can make a train go off. You mean those pennies that dad used to have us put on the train track? It was dangerous? 
I don't think that small would make a difference. Obviously, it didn't. No. Let's hope not. We never heard anything on the news. But it was fun. It was fun. I love that memory. Thank you, Beth. I've forgotten about that. So this derailer, it clamps to the railroad track, and it's relatively small considering how big the rail car is that you're trying to either put back on the tracks or stop. And regardless, Beth, of course, I went one step further and I discovered that you can actually buy one of these derailers for as little as $135 U.S. currency today. That's terrible. I think they should have them banned. Yeah, you're right. I mean, who's going to need a derailer for any purpose besides working with the railroads and having it issued to you as a railroad-issued tool, right? Right. When the derailer was discovered, authorities could not determine if it had belonged to the terrorist attack on the Sunset Limited or if it was just a copycat. Okay, I have to stop there for a moment because why do people think that it is okay to copycat these things, Beth? I suppose that they're going to be getting some fame, get in the news. Then why don't they just step forward? Because copycats never expose themselves. Question. Are you going to give me the answer? I don't have the answer today. Let's walk through some of the passenger accounts to the incident that occurred. Ironically, Beth, several passengers were holding a discussion about terrorist attacks in the United States during their commute on this train. That's weird. Yeah. I think partially, Beth, it was because of the high terroristic activities that were going on during that era. Passengers were wondering why nobody had sabotaged a train yet true what are your thoughts on that you're right we never hear it. when you brought the story to me today i was shocked to hear that that was being sabotaged i didn't think a train would ever be sabotaged so true it really has not happened very much in history we don't want history repeating itself that's for sure no and it certainly hasn't been in the news at all no can i assume that you believe in premonitions for sure. Yeah, me too. Have you ever had one? I did have a premonition when I was a kid. Mum smoked and there was a contest in the cigarette packages back when I was eight years old. And I looked at mum and I says, you're going to win something tonight from your cigarettes. I just felt a really strong feeling. I went to bed and mum came in and woke me up and she says, how did you know? And I said, God told me. So God condones smoking. No, he just told me that mom was going to win something. That's just so random. Very. I've had two that I can very clearly say that I have full recollection of premonitions. You really want to hear them? Yeah, I want to hear them. Folks, we won't be long. Okay, premonition number one. When we were moving from Canada to the United States... I had to go get some papers for mom to sign so that I would be withdrawn from school. They told me to bring the papers back the next day, but the secretary in the front office of our high school told me to go sit in the principal's office and just wait for him because he was not there at the moment, but he, she wanted me to wait. Okay, are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. I was sitting there looking at a picture on his desk of the principal and his family. You don't really speak out loud, but the thought went through my head. I wonder what his family's going to do when he dies. 
I spoke with him that day. I took the papers home. Mom signed them. I brought them back. And I walked into the office and I asked for the principal. And the secretary looked at me with shock in her eyes. And she said, did you not hear? And of course, you know, I what what should I have heard? He died last night. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was premonition number one. Premonition number two. You ready for this one? I'm ready. Do you wear your seatbelt? Yes. All the time? Yes, Dad taught us to. Absolutely. So, of course, I wear my seatbelt. Now, this is one time that I worked the night shift, and I was coming home. It was probably around 3 o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, Beth, I swear to goodness, I did not want to wear my seatbelt. I was being rebellious. I had no intentions of putting my seatbelt on, but the night was foggy. There was an eerie feeling in the air. It was almost too silent. And I kept driving home. It was probably a 30-minute drive. I probably got about halfway home when I said, okay, you know what? I got to put my seatbelt on because I had a very weird feeling. As I got closer to home, I was literally within, I don't know, maybe a mile of my house. I was going, you know how the roads are in Georgia. They're really windy. They're up and down. So I was traveling the last road to my house. And by the time I reached about half a mile from the house, I literally said, I need to slow down. I just came to a real slow crawl on the way home. And as I was going down this big dip coming up around the bend, Beth, I heard a command. It just said, stop. And no joke, as soon as I came around that bend at three o'clock in the morning or 3.30 at that time, there was a big truck sitting on my side of the road, with its bright lights on. My goodness. Isn't that something? It is. Like, did you literally hear that command in your head? I literally heard a command that said, stop. Wow. I just sat there for a moment. I remember seeing a driveway to my right. I was, I turned my head to back up and that car turned its bright lights off swung around me very, very quickly and revved its engine and kept going. Now that is really weird. It's eerie. Were you scared? I was not scared, but the word that you just said, eerie, that eerie feeling followed me home from work all the way to that stopping point. You know, for the next couple days, Beth, I was looking along that route to see if there were any dead bodies in the ditch. Well, that's really freakish. But I do believe that there is a reason for everything. And when it's your time, it's your time. And that wasn't your time. Yep, I agree. Very well said, Beth. I think we're going to touch on that in just a little bit. Okay. Okay, folks, back to our story. I hope you like that premonition or two. Let me find my spot. Okay. I don't even know if I can call this an accident, but when the accident occurred, passengers on the train recall being awakened by a horrific sound of brakes grinding on the tracks. It sounded like a really loud shriek. I know you know what that sound is. Yes. They then recall being slammed into the seats in front of them and... All the lights on the train went off all at once. One passenger described the derailment as like the train was lifting, then tilting sideways very slowly, and then dropping really fast. Have you ever been to Six Flags with me? Yes. It reminds me of a ride that you would see at Six Flags, only worse, Beth. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine being in an isolated area like that without warning and something like this were to happen? 
No. Me neither. And how awful it would be to be in pitch black, not knowing what just happened. Exactly. Many of the passengers had to crawl out of the windows to escape the wreckage. This happened to be a night with a full moon, so passengers were able to see quite a bit out there, or at least use flashlights to help each other in the dark. Passengers tied sheets together to help pull other passengers out of the cars. Others climbed into the darkened cars just to look for injured passengers. Beth, they all just stuck together on this, which is a beautiful thing. Yes, good teamwork. Mm -hmm. Within hours of the derailment, about 60 passengers were transported to the local area hospitals. Somewhere around 20 passengers were flown to area hospitals via helicopter with critical injuries. Other passengers were transported, get this Beth, via the four railway cars that were not damaged from this derailment. Would you want to get back on that train? No way, Jose. I know. That's why I won't get on John's motorcycle anymore. I had my spill. Not getting back on that horse. No, please don't. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, most of the passengers didn't even panic. They remained their composure throughout the whole entire incident and rescue. How awesome is that? Awesome. Very unique. Very. I'm going to move on to the manifesto. And I don't know if you know what that is, Beth. No, I don't. A manifesto is basically making a proclamation of something. So something in written form proclaiming something. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. Okay. When the derailing first occurred, Amtrak workers asked passengers to stay put. That means that they wanted them to stay in the cars, likely to keep up with people, Beth, I can imagine. After about an hour, the cars began to get very warm since the electricity had gone out. Passengers began exiting to get some fresh air. Understood. I'd probably do the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. A couple of the passengers from the Sunset Limited stated that they came across two separate sheets of clean, white, typewritten papers held underneath some rocks just outside of the derailment site. How odd would that be? Out of place, right? Very. I'm sure that they were very interested in seeing what it was. They sure were, because some of them picked up the letters and began reading them. What would you do in that situation if you came across some random papers underneath some rocks? Would you pick them up? Well, I'm a little nosy. (laughs) Okay, I would probably do the same thing, but then I think that obviously they realized that the papers that were there were in connection to the derailment. Mm -hmm. The passengers described what was written inside of these letters as some sort of sick poetic justice against law enforcement. And one passenger described it as a poem to the martyrs. I never knew what a martyr was. I've heard that word being used continuously. I would describe a martyr, Beth, as giving up your life for a purpose. So in this case, whoever wrote these letters was using a passenger train as their motive. The author of this manifesto named it Indictment of the ATF and the FBI. What is ATF, you ask? Yes. It's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. So they have a bureau for everything. Yeah, sounds like it. And the manifesto was named Indictment of the ATF and the FBI. Excerpts of the letter mentioned, and I quote, People sleeping upstairs while kerosene lamps burned below. 
unquote. Whoever the author was blamed local, state, and federal law enforcement for everything because they, quote, wouldn't restore the electricity, unquote. They were referencing the Branch Davidian and Ruby Ridge. Basically, Beth, both the Branch Davidian and Ruby Ridge, there was a group of people that were being investigated for firearms and they didn't go down well. Let's put it that way. Reference was made regarding a police officer's wife who was shot because she knew too much about drug kickbacks. That to me was a little random. One of the surviving passengers from Sunset Limited stated in an interview that she was walking along the tracks when she witnessed a man with ginger hair and a beard guarding the manifesto. This person was never later identified, and I do not believe he was on that train, Beth. I don't really know to the extent of who this man was because I really could not find anything more than just to say that there was somebody guarding the letters. The motive for the Amtrak sabotage was still unclear as to whether it was a personal grudge against the government or just some other wackadoodle Beth that was out there terrorizing people. Some sources believe that this attack might have been an insider job by a disgruntled railway employee because there was a theory based on the fact that the portion of the tracks that was sabotaged was owned by Southern Pacific Railroad, which was close to reaching an agreement to merge with Union Pacific. This would have been a huge financial gain for the railroad companies, but was expected as usual when mergers happen, layoffs would occur. It could be that somebody had a grudge knowing that there would be layoffs. Yeah, that sounds like an idea. On another note, the reason authorities believe that this attack could have been against the government is because they found that manifesto, which was a declaration of action at the crime scene, and it criticized law enforcement at both the local and federal level. Yeah, so they have two theories here. It's either a grudge against gun control or a grudge against the railroad lines. Wow, I can't believe that nobody was found guilty. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll never know. Or we might, but to this day, we don't know. Whoever the person or persons that were responsible for the Sunset Limited derailment signed the manifesto, the Sons of Gestapo. And for our listeners that don't know, Gestapo is known for two things. One is a secret police known during World War II and is associated with the Nazi party in Germany. A Gestapo is also known as a secret police that uses terroristic acts against people who are considered disloyal. So either way, this definitely sounds more and more like somebody's holding a grudge. According to authorities, there are no terroristic groups that go by this name, and no extremists have ever come forward to take ownership of this sabotage. This is the only time the Sons of Gestapo has ever been given a reference or since the 1995 attack. So let's talk about the suspect. And I could only find one suspect on the FBI list, Beth. Okay. This was a man named John Olin. And over the past 27 years or so, he was a contractor for Southern Pacific And he was considered to be very hot-tempered, belligerent, and abrasive to those who came in contact with him. Following the sabotage, 
Olin bragged that this was something he would have easily been able to pull off. He lived in the small town of Hyder, Arizona, where the derailment occurred, and Olin had a criminal record of burglary, but also faced murder and robbery charges in the past. The FBI went ahead and conducted a very thorough search, and in December of 1995, nothing was found to make any charges stick on John Olin. So there you go. That is the case of the Amtrak sabotage of 1995. And I will mention, it seems to me, Beth, that anywhere before the year 2000, people got away with a lot more. Once DNA was introduced, everything seems to have minimized. I'm not going to say that it's prevented a lot of things like this, but it's at least minimized. Well, I've looked high and low for the transcript of the manifesto, but I had no luck. So basically, I was only able to piece together what was inside of that from passenger accounts that were there that night. And I'm also thinking that the FBI is holding on to this as a little nugget in case a suspect is ever identified. Right. Yeah, I searched high and low, but I could not find anything on this. Like I said, I could basically piece it together based on the articles that I found. I will also mention that passengers eventually filed a lawsuit against Amtrak in 2001. So that would have been six years after the incident, stating that the train's engineers should have been able to see any damage up the tracks before the train derailed. What do you think? I beg to differ. Why? Because it's so far away. And with them not expecting to see anything, especially out in the rural area, you can't anticipate every 30 seconds that there's going to be something there. Well, let me tell you what was in the lawsuit. According to legal documents, the engineers should have been able to see the tracks at least 500 feet or 150 2.4 meters ahead with those locomotive lights. I described to you earlier what a locomotive was. So it's that very front machine that has those really bright lights coming up the tracks. However, I wanted to put 500 feet or 152.4 meters into perspective for you because I had to do this for myself. That is about the distance of one and a half football fields, two city blocks, or five streetlights that are separated the distance between each other. So the next time you go up the road, Beth, along the block, I want you to count five of those the next time you go to the city. Okay. When you get to the first one, count up five. That's how far the lawyers were saying that the engineers should have been able to see the tracks. And remember, at the very beginning of this podcast, I had mentioned that they went around a curve. And as they turned the corner around that curve is where they derailed. Right. Well, the lawsuit was rejected by a Ninth Circuit judge saying that there was no evidence to support that claim. That makes sense. 
All right, for Inquiring Minds, the section of the tracks where Sunset Unlimited derailed still exists, but is no longer in use. If you were to travel the area today where the 1995 attack occurred, you'd still be able to see evidence of the derailment. For instance, if you ever come upon an exit ramp somewhere and you see a big concrete foundational wall, that was destroyed and then part of the bridge was destroyed. They just never repaired that. Hundreds of people have been interviewed since 1995, but the motive for this attack is still unclear. And as of today, the FBI has an outstanding reward for $320,000 for anyone who can offer information on this case. So I have one final thought, Beth. You know, I always have to go back to the victims. I'm going to go back to Mitchell Bates. He was the one person who died in this incident. Mitchell had no living relatives at the time of his death, and Amtrak officials made a public statement about him saying that they were standing up as his Amtrak family. Aww. I just gave myself some goosebumps. That's so sad. It is. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to ask you that question of how many train accidents do you believe have occurred anywhere in the United States since the 1970s? Take a guess. A thousand? Oh gosh, no. (laughs) Only 74, but that's 74 too many. Yes, it is. And honestly, the number has decreased significantly in the past five years. So let's go back to that train ride I'm going to be taking in a couple months. I feel relatively safe getting on the train. And so you should. Yeah. So to our listeners, if you have any information on the October 9th, 1995 Amtrak derailment in Hyder, Arizona, that's H-Y-D-E-R, Arizona, you can contact 1-800-CALL-FBI or 1-800-225-5324. On a closing note, train travel is considered to be very safe. Most accidents do occur because of vehicles being on the tracks as a train approaches. Otherwise, train transportation is considered to be very safe. Like I said before, (laughs) this story today is not going to keep me from getting on the train, but of course you can always say a prayer for me. I will. I'll say one for you when you, the next time you go up to visit Sarah. All right. Any closing thoughts? Do you have a teachable moment? Of course. When do I not have a teachable moment? So listen, I don't have a ton to say in connection to this case today. I do, however, encourage our listeners to go out and live your best life without worrying about the what ifs. And what I mean by that, Beth, is don't let fear stop you from going after what you want or where you want to go. I think that fear stopped me quite a bit when I was younger, but today I don't worry about that small stuff. All of these statistics say that one way to travel is safer than the other, but at this point, I'm going for the experience. I believe you had mentioned earlier when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. I highly agree with that. Why should I hold back? Because I'm fearful that something could happen. Do you take precautions? Yes. So do I. It'd be stupid not to, but just get out there and enjoy life. Don't let fear get in the way or limit you. And that's my teachable moment today, Beth. Thanks, Deb. So I think it's time to say that's a wrap. 
that is a wrap. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today with Dying to be Found. Before we go, we would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. That really does help us in the rankings. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying to be Found. You can access our website, email, social media, and storyline request form by clicking on our Linktree account found in our show notes. If you like our episodes, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash dying to be found, spelled just like you see it on our logo. Feel free to message us on Instagram and let us know how we're doing. And don't forget to message us on Instagram if you want a sticker. With that, be sure to check us out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you all next week. Bye.